Welcome to Talk Money here on AM 990, the voice of Memphis. I'm Keith Quinn here with Jim Shoemaker. Jim, I know we're going to talk about uh, retirement planning. We're going to talk about 401k plans. But it's really interesting when you start to look at some of the statistics. And we've seen that 45% of the U.S. households uh, haven't saved any money for retirement. It's a big deal. You know, and you think about that, too. And you think about not saving money there. There's also, we've got, you know, another statistic that I think is equally as bad. It's, again, a 49% people that haven't set aside funds that uh, for emergency funds. And so when we talk about retirement planning and we talk about the, the need for that, it, there's three ways. And I've always referred to it as the three-legged stool, Keith. And, you know, you talk about, number one, saving money that is going to be a part. And that's your personal savings. That's, the you know, partly a rainy day fund. But right. its reality is it's just being disciplined in, in trying to save money personally. This is after tax dollars. Secondly, obviously, Social Security is foundational for everybody. We've had sure. several programs about Social Security recently because it's such a question that we're getting tons of questions about today. And, and, and you know, I know we've had some experts uh, on the show. And, again, I think it's so important that we talk about Social Security. But third is the 401K. And that's another approach that is disciplined once you start it is a way of moving through. So our question, now let's make sure, I want you to introduce our guest, but the question that we got was, if I have got money in my 401k and they're looking, it's a summertime, and right. they're looking to buy a house, and I, we really didn't find out if this was their first home or they just needed extra money for a down payment. Could right. they borrow money? Should they borrow money from their 401k for a down payment? But introduce our guest, and these guys know the subject. They really do. And we're joined this morning by Ted Miner, Dane Williams, and Nathan Green, all advisors at Shoemaker Financial. Good morning, gentlemen. Welcome. Good morning, Keith. Good morning, Keith. You Thank know, you very much. I, I'm wondering why we have all three of them. Is it because we had to pull the brain power? I was going to say, it raised or, or, the average or, or, IQ just, significantly uh, just, by having I mean, them here. It's a powerful bunch today, but... Uh, one of the things, that, and Ted, let me start with you because I really think uh, you guys do know this subject, and Nathan's going to help us later on with student debt, and uh, I can't wait to get into that because I think a lot of parents today are looking at student debt uh, in the summer uh, right, <laughs> and preparing for what they got to do in the fall uh, if they haven't already done that. But let's start with you, Ted, because I want this question, if I, if I, let me repeat it so we kind of get our hands around it. If I'm about to buy a house and I have looking for all the excess money that I can, how to access money that, you know, that I may have, I, I find that I've got twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars in my 401k. I need to get some of that to put down as a down payment. Should I do that? And let's just go with that question. Well, first of all, you know, when you ask that question, one of the first things I, I need to say is that buying a home is one of those special rules that the IRS has set up for an exclusion so that you don't have to pay, to pay the penalty if it's your first first time purchase, which is classified as not owning a home for two years. So, so if I've been renting for two years, let's say I've just moved to Memphis and stayed, I would actually be qualified in that area that I could could borrow money or just take a withdrawal. Which was well, you, this is a, you could actually take a withdrawal. Of okay. course, there's tax consequences on that. Sure, is there a limit to that amount of withdrawal? Ten thousand dollars if you're okay. married. It's twenty thousand okay. dollars. If she also has a four hundred one k, is it? If all I have is ten thousand dollars, does that mean I can get up to ten thousand regardless? Or the bottom line is just get the money. You could. I mean, you can get the money. There's certainly other implications that that you know. As a financial planner, I you know I would certainly discuss with my client about okay. doing something like that. Okay. So first of all, you're saying first time buyer, no problem. Well, no problem from a standpoint of being having access to the money with no penalty. Uh, 
you know, Jim, one of the concerns I have, and you even you mentioned it a while ago, how fewer people are, are, are starting 401Ks. You know, 401Ks, a retirement program, is a disciplined approach. And, and you have 45% of the households that don't have one. Right. And then all of a sudden, you know, that money's put there for a purpose. And uh, here's somebody is young, and they're limited as to how much they can put in there a year. So now you go and access that money. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying the concern I would have as a financial planner is, you know, the cost of that and the cost of that. And we ran some quick numbers before we came in here. $20,000 taken out of an account for a, for a 30-year-old is uh, worth about $160,000 when he's 65 years old or 70 years old. And that's at 6%? I mean, there's some, some reasonable mm-hmm. So that's a lot of money, I mean, if you take that money out. But let's go back to it now. Is it a good strategy if I if I'm wanting to, I mean, I can just imagine Keith, where I, you know, you got a right. couple, they they want to buy this home, they're looking for, they got to get a down payment. Let's talk. I mean, Ted, is it a good strategy to do that? Is it a good strategy to borrow the money? Well, we looked at, you know, and of course you can get into the weeds on the analytics, but there's lots of things that you can calculate. And analytically, when you look at it, there's there's some rewards to coming up with being able to put down that twenty percent, some some value to that. But uh, again, I would get back to. It's overall cost and, and what it does. There's penalties if that money's not paid back. If you took it out as a loan, there's restrictions that the IRS ha- has as to how fast it has to be paid back. And if it's not paid back, it's a it's a distribution. And if it's dis- it's a distribution, it has a penalty if they didn't qualify. So how fast do you have to pay this back? Do I have, I mean, a, a period of time? I think it's a, it's shorter than most people realize. Well, normally five, but there has been some exceptions when it's known as a home loan. When so, it's done against a homeowner. Say, so how long would that is there? A, I think I've read where some of them have been as high as 15 years. So, so. you can ask for an exception and get that exception Possibly. and just fill out your tax return to do that. So you're telling me, I guess, what I'm hearing, Keith, is it's a good strategy, but you got to be careful. Now, I'm going to say that if you've got to be careful, then what that says to me is if I'm thinking about this as a strategy, you need to get good advice. Well, you really do. And I, you know, I think institutionally we, we have some hesitations about ever recommending anyone, as Ted said, you know, take money out of money dedicated to, uh, for retirement. <coughs> but the last study we've seen that said about 9% of recent home buyers had borrowed against their 401k, you know, to, uh, to make that initial down payment. Now, as you guys said, the, the really key thing about that is being able to repay it. Uh, and not necessarily your financial ability, but, you know, the emotional aspect of that because it's a loan to yourself, uh, and if you don't repay it, then it has the huge, uh, you know, implications on your retirement income, your retirement funding. I think what the, what the person is looking at is, is when they're looking at the availability of money, they think, this money is mine, I've put it there, it's easily accessible. I mean, there's other things. It doesn't go on your credit score. It doesn't show up in your debt-to-income uh, debt ratio when you take the money out of there. So there's other things that are considered in terms of being advantageous. But... Again, most of the time, because it's easy, doesn't mean it's, it's best. Right. And uh, the cost of that could be huge going forward when that money's put together for retirement, and all of a sudden it's time to retire, and they think, I used that $20,000, and all of a sudden we had an economic uh, – you know, we don't know what's going to happen to real estate, so that certainly hadn't been put in our calculations. So now let me make sure I get everybody on the same page, because we have – if it's your first time to ever buy a home, you have a 10% – Withdrawal that is not a bar. You're not. It's not a loan, so you're not. It's not a loan. Ten thousand dollars, not ten. I'm sorry, ten thousand dollars. So you're not borrowing the money. You're just withdrawing the money, and you have to pay the penalty because it's been pre-tax. I mean, it not has not been taxed, so you're going to have to pay a tax. Excuse me, I said penalty, but not penalty. 
But on the other hand, you're saying, now, if I borrow money, is there a limit to what I can borrow? Can If I've got to come up with $50,000 in this scenario, uh, can I borrow $50,000 if I have, you know, say I've got $200,000 in my 401k? 50000 is the limit. The limit is 50000 Okay, so that tells you that you've got to go up to $50,000, and you've got to pay it back. You, you pay are back. paying yourself back, right? You're paying the interest that you're paying is there a maximum that they can put, or how do they work that number? You know, Jim, we had a had a discussion this morning, so I'll just throw it out there about how that that uh, interest that is paid is treated. Right. And there's some question as to whether it's actually there's double taxing or not. But uh, um, there, you know, you don't get a deduction for that interest that you're paying yourself. Right. Uh, so you would if it was a normal <clears throat> loan, if you if you itemize. Right. Okay. So hmm, not not totally great to do that, but. Keith, you mentioned it, and I guess we ought to get these guys to tell us. Dane, help me with this. Let's talk about that young couple. You work with a lot of young couples, and I guess I'm thinking as we go through this process, Ted's given us the the statistical data, the fact that it's probably a reasonable thing to do, but you mentioned it, Keith, the emotional side, uh, the behavioral side. Dane, from a young couple standpoint, talk about that. Is that something you see where they – intentions are good or what happens yeah it's just like ted was saying we can make a math argument that it's a good idea to to take this loan but realistically how is it going to work behaviorally and and that's the in the real world math doesn't apply life happens things happen and and maybe that money's not going to get paid back so i'm always hesitant to make that recommendation that you need to take that loan from your 401k it's something where you want to think about what could happen down the road and and life impacts it yeah that's a well, he said it right. Life impacts it. Life happens. It does. And now if it you're not able to pay it back. That's right. Then you then you have a tax liability. It's taxed. Then penalties occur. That can create all kinds of problems. So I guess the answer to the question, and we'll come back and get into really what 401k rollovers. But to answer the question, we're simply saying you might want to get some advice before you just borrow money from your 401k. Look at all the scenarios. Dane says it really well. Life happens. Think about that, you know, that process there. Right. And then, and, you know, do the calculation with the numbers. I think Ted very clearly defined it that the numbers may say yes, Dane says, but the emotions may say no. Right. So think through it. Think through it. And I think, you know, it's, it's as we always talk about, it depends on everyone's individual situation. So I would say consult a, a professional and think through your personal goals, where you want to be and what you're trying to accomplish. I'm Keith Quinn here with Jim Shoemaker. We're speaking with Ted Miner, Dane Williams and Nathan Green. You know, we just uh, we're looking through our data and we met with misspoke a while ago. We were talking about 401ks. It's so easy to do. And again, that's uh, another way reason why I say you need to get advice. Right. Before you start walking through some of these processes, because we we were talking about 401ks, and then we said the 10%, $10,000 free withdrawal. And and, and, we, and again, when you're talking 401ks, IRAs, all this kind of runs together. And it did it to us because the 10000 free withdrawal that we're talking about is not applicable to 401k. It's only applicable to an IRA. An IRA, an individual first, retirement. An individual account. retirement for a first-time home for buyer. first-time home buyer. So okay. I just want to yeah. make sure we correct that and, and keep everybody straightening the narrow here so that uh, that's my my mistake and and bringing that up and uh, hey guys uh well, you know, what do you expect, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Low expectations. <laughs> but, uh, you know, again, I, I am glad that we're talking about 401K. And, and Keith, again, we said earlier, 
49% of Americans today are not prepared for retirement. And 401K, the defined contribution plan, if they're employed and the employer has a 401K, they should be contributing. So let's start with you, Ted, again. What is the benefit of contributing to a 401K plan? Well, the first thing is that the government has set it up with tax preferential treatment. When you contribute to the traditional, used to when I started, that was the only kind of 401K that you had. The traditional contribution, that uh, amount of money is non-taxed. It is pre-taxed money going into that account. And then when it starts to grow, it grows tax-deferred. You don't have to pay any taxes on it uh, until you start withdrawing that money. Uh, 85% of the plans out there have a company match. The company is given some sort of, and sometimes that enhancement is huge. I mean, sometimes it can be as much as the employees putting in there, so that can be a great benefit. Uh, There is, today, you have the choice of the traditional or the Roth component, even Mm -hmm. in 401Ks today. And in essence, what you're doing, with this this is a planning tool. Uh, You're trying to project when you're going to pay the taxes. You'd like to pay the taxes when you're in a low tax bracket. So that's how you would use that. As As a financial planner, I like to have that option. And for the 401K, and sometimes we use that term generically, Jim. We, we ran into that problem with the, the IRA and the 401K, but there's 403Bs, there's 457, there's a, the 401A. and uh, MOUSEs. That's, that's exactly <laughs> right. That's, uh, you know, but guys, that's, that's part of the issue. Again, let me bring it back to where it really is. When you start making that, you can you can stay up here at the thirty thousand foot level, and it's pretty simple. It's you know you can talk about, but you get into making decisions. I would encourage anybody when you start making these type decisions to get qualified advice. And again, what we've got here is Ted and Dane and Nathan, and they're qualified advisors. Definitely know how to go through this. And it again, we all look at this in the broad perspective. But when you try to make decisions, it is up to that individual perspective of that person or that couple. That's right. It is not when we give you advice over the radio, we're talking at that 30,000 global look. But when you start getting into the weeds, as we say, on an individual, you need to be looking at your particular scenario to make your decision. Absolutely. This may or may not be applicable to your situation. All right. So, again, let me... Dane, I want to go to you this time. I really would like to know, since since we kind of said it, and, Ted, you kind of tossed it up for us, traditional or Roth, I, I guess which is best? Yeah, no, and it's like a lot of things in our business, Jim. Unfortunately, there's no silver bullet. This is always the right answer. It just doesn't exist in our world a lot of times. Neither is clearly one better than the other. But the strategy, like Ted, Ted said, was try to be taxed at the lowest rate. Is it going to be now? Is it going to be later? For, for a young person that's starting their career, ideally they're at one of their lower tax rates now. So maybe the Roth is the best option for them. But as they get older, they may want to switch to a traditional rate because they're going to be hopefully at a higher tax bracket at that point. So you want to uh, you want to make sure that you're looking at taxes and how the impact is on that. But the, uh, the other thing is when you've got both of them as you've switched in life, as you've progressed throughout your career, you've got flexibility. So that's something that we love. Just when you've got both buckets that you've started throughout the course of your career, you'll have that flexibility. You're talking about flexibility and you're talking about starting out. Nathan, I, I know you do uh, work with a lot of students coming out of professional out of college out of professional schools and you're they're kind of i guess you'd say encumbered with debt uh would you would you talk to someone how would you deal with someone who's starting a career and they've got a good income coming in it's a couple and and they're buying a house as we talk about but they they got this debt do you tell them to start paying the debt off first or do you encourage them to contribute a little bit to their 401k plan 
Oh boy, Jim, that's a that's a big old can that's of worms. That's a loaded that you might have up there. <laughs> I like um, that. Hey, that was a good question. I'm pretty sure that uh, we've done an entire radio show on that it exact is, right? one yeah. question, but uh, just to simply boil the answer down to simplest form as possible, I think it 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 comes down in two different pieces. Part of it is something that Dane and Ted have both touched on, which is just behavioral finances, uh, a habit that we try to form in working with young couples is the concept of paying yourself first. Mm. Uh, And something that I love about the 401k is that in order to participate in this, when you sign up with your job, they give you a piece of paper and they say, do you want to put 3% into your 401k? And you check a box and that's it. Mm. From there on, everything just gets withheld. You never see the money. The money is saved. It's automatic. You don't have any decisions to make. And that is priceless in long-term financial planning. And that does make it a discipline that lasts for a period of time. And that's what you're talking about, that's a long exactly period right. of time. Ted, when, you, when you're looking at this long period of time, how much should someone be contributing? Is there, a, is there a magic number that someone should say, okay, I'm starting out. I mean, maybe it's the young couple or maybe it's that 45-year-old. Is there a number that they should be setting aside? Again, it gets down to a lot of uh, personal ability, you know, what their exact situation is, their age, what they can afford. Whether they expect uh, there's there's an expected sum of money out there at inheritance or something that they know is available to them, but you know, Jim, when I started uh, my 401k in 1978, a long time ago, I kind of had a rule that I would put make sure that I had 10 percent of my income plus what the company was putting in there for me, and that has worked really well for me. Uh, and the problem is today I also have a pension, I also have Social Security. So when I'm when you're looking at someone that's younger, say in their 20s today. You know, I suggest that at least 15 percent uh, is what they need to put in there. And if they're older than that, then uh, then they need to be putting more than that because Social Security has a lot of strain on it. And only 7 percent of the companies out there have pensions today. Well, guys, I know when we're talking about financial planning, we always come up with a lot of it depends answers. Uh, and that's really good because, again, it applies to everyone's individual situation. We were talking about the advantages of owning a 401k, uh, potentially over an IRA, an individual retirement account. Dane, can you have both an IRA and a 401k or another retirement account at work? Yeah, well, the quick answer to that is, is yes, but you may See, not. that's what I wanted, a definitive answer, <laughs> there yes. You go. There you go. <laughs> but the, the thing is, you may not be able to contribute to the IRA, or the contributions may not have that same tax-preferred treatment because of your income, the employer's program you've right. got set up, or even your spouse's income. But, uh, and, and, you know, the thing is, it's different for a traditional versus a Roth, too. So that's something sure. we definitely want you to talk to somebody about before you make those decisions. You know, I want to remind everybody, if they've got a question for these guys, first of all, they can call them at the office at 757-5757. That's Dane Williams and Ted Miner, 757-5757. Or if you just would like to send a question to us, and we'll try our best to get it on, that's what started the program today, is simply send it to Talk Money at Shoemaker Financial, talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com, and we'll get the question on. And, And here's a question, guys. Ted, I want to go to you on this, because... I had someone just recently, and we were looking at the difference. In, and, again, how can they access funds? And are there penalties? We talked a little bit about that for the home with the question on the home. But are there other ways to access their funds? And then tell me what an inherited IRA is. That's just a question that came out of a person because of a spousal death. Uh, and then they wanted to know how, what should they do with an inherited IRA. Well, in terms of accessing the funds, there's a lot of freedom once you get past the age 59 and a half. Uh, before that time, there are some the difference in the rules against whether there's a 401k or whether it's a, a 457 or whether it's a, an IRA. There's, and, you know, it gets, let me jump back here. You know, it's important for the people, the listeners, to know the exact program 
that they are working with from their employer. And right. they need to know those rules. We were talking just before we came here where Nathan brought up a spe- specific rule that was specific to the employer only that would have no, would have no knowledge of whatsoever. Well, I and mean, we talked about taking loans from the plans. Can you do that with every plan? Uh, every IRA? Every 401K? <laughs> every 401K, we're not sure. Not, other, I'd have to look at those documents. Why don't we take a break and come back and, and, and talk about the weather? <laughs> this is a tough subject. And, you it know, it we really treat is. This, we treat this like it's just no big deal. We talk about IRAs, 401Ks all day long. But what we're showing people today, I think in a very specific way, is you've got to know a lot in order to be, you know, dealing with an individual. And it's important that you get good advice. You know, guys, this is not uh, rocket science, but it gets into the complicated side when you start looking at what the individual's looking at. So I, I know there's a ton of government stuff here, and we've got a, a, about two minutes, but I really do want to figure out it, when can I get to my <laughs> funds? I want to get to my IRA. Oh, no, I'm going to start with my 401K. Let's just deal with 401K first. Well, the 401K, again, the 59 and a half is, the, is a magic number. And, of course, that, that uh, if you leave the company before uh, right after 55, you actually can access those funds without penalty from, your empl- from the 401K. So if I retire early. Correct. Okay, I can do it at 55. Correct. However... If you roll that money, and this is important, See, if, you roll the money, however, <laughs> if you roll the money into an IRA, and this is important for people, they make this mistake. Yeah. They leave their company after 55, they roll their 401k into an IRA, then they want to get access to the money. Now they can't access okay. it without penalty to 59 and a half. Okay. Is there, I know there, are there any exceptions? You're talking about that exception, so help me understand, you know, when you say, if I retire at 55, I can access the money. Do I have to be retired? There are some hardship rules. There's some disability rules. There's some rules for education. You can actually pay for education uh, out of those funds. You can uh, pay for, if you're unemployed. You can pay for medical uh, medical insurance premiums out of those funds. So there are some exceptions, uh, but not just to access it. Not just to go get to take that, a vacation. You know, again, let's make sure everybody understands. It's complicated. It's complicated enough that I want to say two things. If check with your HR department where you work, they yes. will usually give. They will most of the time give you very good specific yes. advice. Always do that before you just jump out to do something, and then seek the advice of a professional and somebody who digs into the weeds, knows your situation, and is working with you. We have two guys, three guys on the show today doing a great job. Ted, Nathan, and Dane, and they're doing a great job talking about. We call it simple, but it, it is a complicated subject. Then this actually came up this in the office this past week. We were talking with a widow, uh, doing the counseling, going through the process. A terrible tragedy. Just a, uh, her husband uh, passed away, and of course we were walking through doing what we do, and I hope it's what we do best. At that particular crisis, we're there providing answers and guidance and, and doing the counseling that we're supposed to be doing as professionals. In the process, uh, the the individual had that passed away had an IRA. As we were going through this and working with the company to get the IRA to, right. to, 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 the, to the widow, uh, we were making some, some decisions, and one of them came up, should this be an inherited IRA or not? And obviously the answer was most of the time yes, but I, I think what people don't know, Ted, is that there is the, something called an inherited IRA, and it does have some benefits. So for our listening audience, just give us a couple of the benefits that, that an inherited, and the reason being a person, you've got husband and wife, uh, let's just say the husband in this case passes away, the money's coming to the spouse, the wife, 
And what's the benefit of making it an inherited IRA? On an inherited IRA, you have the ability to be able to start taking those funds immediately. And in in the case of the... Now, you're going to get taxed on them, but there's no penalty there. That's correct. These funds have never been taxed unless unless it's a Roth. But if it's a a traditional IRA, these funds, the government's going to get their taxes on it. But normally, when you have an IRA, you have to wait till 59 and a half. However, on an inherited IRA... The government's wanting to go ahead and get that money taxed. Yeah. So they allow you to start having access to those funds. Now, normally with a spouse, we think, well, why don't we just transfer it into theirs? We have that ability to do that. And But there is something, there is two particular things that they get that's advantageous to them, especially if they're not 59 and a half years. Two things they get and if they don't roll it into their IRA. So if they if they inherited IRA, then there's two extra things that they get. That's correct. Okay. And, and one is if they, if they roll it into their personal IRA, then they couldn't access those funds to a 59 and a half. The same penalty. rules would apply that, right. And, and but because uh, if they're, if they're younger than that, they would get it. Also, the autom- the uh, automatic with uh, the minimum withdrawal distribution. Right. If they are younger than their spouse, then they can also use that age to start taking those things. So those two advantages that they would have. Major advantages. People Big advantages. Yeah. You know, guys, I see this a lot, and and I want us to get into this just for a second. And, and where I were counseling, and Dane, I want you to help me with this, but. You got a multiple IRAs, and, and I know you you got a younger generation. And let's just talk about what happens. They start out, they work for three or four, or five years for Company A, then they move from Company A and go to Company B, and they work three or four, or five years, and they've got another IRA, right. another four hundred one k. All of a sudden, they end up where they've got multiple four hundred one ks strung out all over the place. Can they roll all of that into one program, or what should they do? Well, that's the issue. Yeah, no, that's definitely an option. The one thing you want to consider, though, is, is that the I in an IRA is individual. So if it's if it's you and your wife, you can't roll your wife's 401K into your IRA. It's got to be yours. You each have to have your own IRAs if you're going to do it. But some people do find that that's, that's a huge benefit because over the course of a lifetime, you'll see people switch careers several times. And, and with that, you've got four and five different statements, four and five different logins. It's just a mess. Having it all in one place is a huge benefit to a lot of people and it can be managed uh, according to your goals that way and oh. I, th- I think that's a great point because when you have a lot of different scattered accounts it's oh. really hard to know what your allocation is and we talk about that a lot and then it's hard to hit your goals if you don't know what your allocation is it's just uh, it's a, a lot you, of advantages you hit it right on the head because that's the that's this issue so if you just tuned in our guests have been and they're and they're done a great job of answering a lot of questions and guys we could talk and talk and talk as we said this can get into the weeds it can get complicated we advise anybody that's got to make decisions about something such as should I do a rollover, should I, all the things we've talked about today, seek good counsel, good advice. These two guys are great. Uh, Nathan uh, Green is also, I mean, he's we're going to talk about another subject that's equally as important. But these three guys have just really given us some great insight today, and I appreciate what they've done. It's Ted, Dane, and Nathan. If you got a, want to, got a question for them, just simply call 901-757-5757. Ask for one of these guys. Uh, they'll be glad to help you. Nathan, you do a ton of counseling with, with people, as I, we talked about earlier with the question, that, that, with, that are students that have come out of work, I mean, come out of school, started their work, and they've got debt. So walk me through some of the biggest issues that you run into when you start looking at the debt issues that, are, that a person has. Tell me that, that normal client. Just give me that idea there. That normal client, yeah. in terms of, yeah, let me, let me just, I'm, I'm looking for who they are. I mm. mean, they're, you know, are they over fifty? No, <laughs> they're young people. Well, when we start talking about student loans, we've got two different people to consider. 
a the student who's going to be going through school and and uh, taking on this debt load, but also b the parent, the grandparent who's going to be involved in this process and and maybe even less familiar with student loans and maybe even more afraid for their child or grandchild uh, as to what type of debt they're going to be taking on. Um, so just to hopefully educate a little bit of our, our listeners as to if you've got a, a student about to start grad school, about to start school and go through this process this fall, or maybe even looking at it next year, uh, this whole process I think is scary for a lot of people but can be simplified just with a matter of education to understand what you're walking into. So education, all right. First of all, again, if you've got a student that's headed, you know, grad student uh, going to college or this year, they need to get some counseling. They're going to get counseling from the school. Mm-hmm. But you you dive into a very spe- perspective from a standpoint of a planner mm-hmm. working through both the parent or grandparent and the student. So what advice, what what should they expect if they're going to look at these loans and how they're going to get the financial aid what what should they be looking for? Well, what they should be looking for, first and foremost, is the leading expert while you are in school is your school's financial aid office. They're going to provide more insight than I can while you are in school. But the insight I'm going to be able to provide is what happens with all these decisions we make for years to come. So as you're going through this process, financial aid office is going to direct you through the FAFSA report. That's F-A-F-S-A. .ed.gov if you're looking for this on a website. Say it again. FAFSA.ed.gov is the website. Okay. Um, and this is where you start your federal application for financial aid. And that process will lead you to a couple of different results. You can come out with, first and foremost, a, a simple direct unsubsidized loan. Um, in times past, for the last 10 years probably, these were issued at about 6.8%, really steep interest rate. Right. Government's starting to come down on this, though. This is dropping this past year to 5.4%. Still steep, but um, much more manageable. Go Does ahead. this affect your credit score, that student? I mean, is, this, is that a problem with a student? That's a really good question. Student loans with, in regards to your credit score right. are considered an installment loan. Okay. So different than a Credit card debt, for example, we're right. looking at like total a revolving balance. debt, right. exactly. Instead, we're looking at um, your payments each month. What is your payment, and are you making the payment, and are you making right. it on time each month? So that's what's going to count towards your credit score as opposed to, for example, uh, a number of graduates from private pharmacy schools in the state are, are coming out with three hundred dollars to $350,000 of debt right now. The government's not concerned with that overwhelming amount of debt, but rather are they making payments each month? Uh, and that provides a lot of opportunity for us, uh, even as an advantage to starting to build a credit score for right. somebody who right now can't qualify for a credit card, can't qualify for uh, a you know their first rent or, or really don't have any type of credit history. Student loans can also provide a benefit for us because we can. Uh, I, I might go far as far as to say manipulate our monthly payments uh, and not have to worry about the consequence of um, extra penalties or extra fees if we have to stretch our loan payments out from say ten years to thirty years or even make it on a graduated repayment schedule or even go into deferment. Uh, and have to go for a year without making any payments. In that case, that doesn't negatively affect your credit score at all. Does it, does that back to the question that we asked very top of the hour, and that was: Does this affect a young couple? I mean, 
will a large amount of student loans keep a young couple from buying a home? In short, maybe. Okay. <laughs> what the answer boils down to is this concept of your debt to income ratio. And we're not looking at this pharmacy, uh, this pharmacist I was talking about earlier with $350,000 of debt versus his hundred and some odd thousand dollars of income. Instead, we're looking at how much is his income each month and how much is his monthly bill for his student loan. So again, if we stretch this loan repayment out over a long period of time, then it it doesn't negatively affect him at all, whether or not he pays above and beyond that minimum payment. You know, though, I think you hit a point there, and I know we don't have a ton of time left, but what's the worst case scenario? You got this young couple, they've, they've been going to school, they're now professionals or, or they're working, I mean, they've they created a lot of debt. What's the What do they really need to be sensitive to? I mean, that young couple that's just, mm, boy, they're real close to really having life kind of by the tail, really, but they've got this mountain kind of dragging it along, what's the things they need to be sensitive to? Well, contrary to what most people see as they graduate school, they see this mountain of debt and think, oh my gosh, this is worst case scenario that I have to pay this back. Well, from my perspective, I see this student debt as an investment into your career. And as long as we continue with this career, we'll have the income that will be able to to pay off the debt. Uh, again, the investment is to provide the income down the road. I think worst case scenario is if we find ourselves in a situation where we don't have that career to be able to pay off that debt. All of a sudden, we, uh, we're we in a, an event where uh, this spouse has now passed on. The spouse is physically disabled in some sort. Uh, and in that event, okay, we've still got this $30,000 or $130,000 or $230,000 of debt to pay off but no physical capacity to um, to bring in an income and, and pay for that. So you need disability insurance, you need life insurance. Those are things just to cover the debt. I, I think that's very sound advice. Well, you know, that's uh, good advice. Good, good advice. Good guys. And uh, just if you want more information, if you happen to have that, be that person that's encumbered with a lot of debt from school, this Nathan Green knows how to work you through that and help you understand that. Give him a call at 757 757- Five seven five seven. You know, this has been fast moving today. It has been. It's been a great show. You've done a good job. I've enjoyed being back. <laughs> Me too. And guess who we have next week? I don't know. Rusty Leonard. Oh, good. So Rusty's going to give us the first half. Scenario. Rusty is going to talk to us all about the economy. He has a great global perspective. Well, let me say this. Dane, you did a great job. Ted, great job. Nathan, great job. We appreciate you guys taking the time out to be with us today. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for having us. Thanks, having thanks gentlemen. And I'd like to thank everyone who works on the show. Art Frederick, our production coordinator ted minor dane williams and nathan green who have been our guest eleanor moskovitz and katie brashear our production assistants our compliance officer jess long jeff long our guest coordinator francis fortner drew johnson who writes our mid-south history moments and rebecca brazier who reads them i'm keith quinn and i'm jim shoemaker please join us next week when we'll help you make the most of your money Jim Shoemaker and Keith Quinn are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services Incorporated. Securities dealer member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.